0: Well, as I mentioned earlier, I'm going to be preaching on the sanctity of human life. And there is a familiar text that many pastors preach on when it comes to this important topic. And that is Psalm 139. So if you have your Bibles, uh, turn with me to Psalm 139. I'll be reading verses 13 through 16 from the ESV translation. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. For these few minutes, I want to address four questions regarding the sanctity of human life. First, what does the Bible say about when life begins? Second, what does the world and society say about when life begins? Then we're going to look at what is the current pro-life and pro-abortion or pro-choice debate focusing on? And then, how do we respond? What do we do with the information that has been given today. What does the Bible say about when life begins? Psalm 51, 5, as we prayed earlier in our time of confession, David said, Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. When David spoke these words, he was thinking back to the time of his birth when he was brought forth from his mother's womb as a sinner. He was saying that from the moment of conception he had a sinful nature. This means that David thought of himself as a distinct human being the moment of conception. Life begins at conception. Human beings are brought into this world first Through conception. God affirms that in Psalm 51.5. As you look throughout the Bible, you will also see that God considers the pre-born child a human being. There are a few examples that I immediately thought of. The first was in Genesis chapter 25 when Rebecca had these twins in her womb. And they were wrestling one another. Rebecca was the wife of Isaac, and this is what it said in verse 22. The children struggled together within her, and she said, If it is thus, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. The preborn twins were viewed as children inside the womb of Rebecca, children. Many of you, if you've grown up in the church, you know this gospel account of Luke when Mary, who has Jesus inside her, forming in the womb, walks into the the room where Elizabeth, her relative, was. And Elizabeth was carrying John the Baptist in her womb. And what does John the Baptist do when Mary walks into the room with baby Jesus growing inside of her but John the Baptist leaps for joy. Luke chapter 1 verse 44 and when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the holy spirit and she exclaimed with a loud cry blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb and why is this granted to me that the mother of my lord should come to me for behold when the sound of your greeting has come came to my ears the baby in my womb leaped for joy. So we see in Genesis, twins wrestling each other in the womb. I can't imagine being Rebecca at that moment, how that would feel. And we see in Luke, a baby leaping for joy when another preborn baby enters the room. Psalm 139, David said, You formed my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. Notice how he says the word, me. You knitted me together. Here he speaks of himself as a distinct person when he was in his mother's womb, and the word "me" or inward parts rather is the word Hebrew in Hebrew "kilia." It's where we get the word kidney. But the context of what David was talking about is it refers to the innermost parts of a person, including his deepest inward thoughts and emotions. When David was describing himself being formed in his mother's womb, he was describing his innermost parts of being a person, including his deepest inward thoughts and his deepest emotions. The Bible mentions time and time again that a preborn child is a human being. What else does Psalm 139 tell us? It tells us. How God plays an active role in bringing forth life into this world. God formed our inward parts. It describes an intimate knowledge of David that God had. God knit together David in his mother's womb. The word knit means wove. God took an active personal role in forming David's unborn body and person. David's frame, his body was not hidden from God, but was intricately woven. And knit together by God in the womb of his mother. So right here we see God playing an active role in creating and bringing about life. So what does the Bible say about life? It tells us a lot of things. Life begins at conception. And as David reflected upon the whole process of birth and the development stages, he couldn't help but explain and exclaim to the Lord, Wonderful are your works, Lord. I know it very well. For those of you moms in the room, for those of you dads in the room, do you remember that experience when you found out, moms, when you were pregnant? The joy that came upon you? Maybe the fear. Do you remember going through that nine months? Do you remember labor and delivery and that experience? There is no greater joy than seeing life not only form, but come into this world. My wife Stephanie and I, we've had the privilege of bringing four kids into this world. And every single time, I'm blown away by how complex life is. I'm blown away by all the details of how life came into this world. And every time we had Abby, Katie, Caleb, or Sarah enter this world, I told Stephanie, how could you not believe in a God after experiencing what we just experienced these last nine months? The level of detail, the complexity of life, and the early stages of life, it's unbelievable. And at the end, when our children entered this world, I couldn't help but say, Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. Life is a precious gift. That God has given us. So what does the world say about life? Well, it's interesting because in 1973 when Roe v. Wade came into effect, the early debate was whether or not this infant was a human being at the beginning early debate was, well, this is just a glob of tissue. It's a fetus. And so it's okay for for women to choose to abort a fetus because after all, a fetus is not a human being. Well, since Roe v. Wade and over time, we have had tremendous medical advancement and technology advancement. So now we have 4D ultrasounds and we have sonograms where you all of a sudden start to see this baby developing even in the first trimester. It's unbelievable. You can hear the heartbeat, you can see the baby moving as the baby develops. It's unbelievable. So, because of medical advancement, the debate has now shifted from it being a glob of tissue to now a preborn baby. You know, medical advance, medical technology has really helped us as Christians in this discussion about life being in the mother's womb. I'm going to show you this, uh, this little display. I think it's pretty cute. Um, it's of the baby and the different stages from beginning to birth. This is coming from Choices Resource Center. Well, I'm going to show you this little infant. He or she is seven weeks old. In a seven-week-old baby, the facial features are visible, including mouth and tongue. The eyelids have begun to form, and the major muscle systems are developed by seven weeks. Eight-week-old baby, the unborn child now swims and moves gracefully inside in the protective amniotic sac, and every organ is present by eight weeks. Nine weeks. Here's the irony. The baby is now called a fetus. Do you know what fetus means? It means little one. It doesn't mean glob of tissue. It means little one, little person. By nine weeks, the hands now bend at the wrist, and fingerprints and fingernails are just beginning to show. Elbows are formed at nine weeks. You get to ten weeks... And the child is sensitive to touch, squints, swallows, frowns, and puckers up the brow. The voice box is forming. And the baby will stretch out and show breathing-like movements. Tiny baby teeth are forming in the gums at 10 weeks. Let's fast forward now to 12 weeks. The heart has been beating now for this 12-week-old for 9 weeks. The fingers have fingernails with tiny developing fingerprints, and the baby's eyes have their first coloring at 12 weeks. 16-week-old baby, the baby's active, but mom uh, will just start to feel the baby move. You remember that, ladies, at 16 weeks. The baby may suck her thumb and turn somersaults and have a firm grip by 16 weeks. 22 weeks, mom may feel the baby kick. Or hiccup, and may be able to identify a bulge as an elbow or a head. Each side of the brain has over a billion nerve cells by 22 weeks. Then we get to 26 weeks. What happens <clears throat> to this 26 week old baby? The baby is now able to hear. The child steps or sleeps and wakes, nestling in her favorite positions and stretches upon waking up. In just a couple of weeks, the eyelids begin to reopen, preparing to see the outside world at 26 weeks. Modern technology, in the medical world, is now proving to us after conception, the baby, <clears throat> the baby is not fetal tissue, but we have a human being that's forming inside the mother's womb. So, how has the debate... Changed? How has it shifted? Well, again, Planned Parenthood and the Guttmacher Institute, what they're doing is they're saying now we're dealing with a preborn baby. And there are several reasons why women now have an abortion. There are four big reasons why women have abortions today. Uh, First is having a baby would dramatically interfere with their education, work, or the ability to care. For other dependents. In other words, the number one reason why women have abortions is because the baby to be born would interfere with their education, work, or their ability to care for other dependents. That's the number one reason. So it's no longer, well, this baby's a glob of tissue. It's, this baby's gonna be an inconvenience for my life. The second reason why women abort. Babies is they could not afford a baby at this time. Three out of four women who aborted said they could not afford a baby. The third reason why women have abortions is some women thought they had no other choice given their limited resources and existing responsibilities to others. And the fourth and final reason that women aborted their child is they said that abortion was necessary because they were unmarried and did not want to be a single parent or the pregnancy was causing conflict with their significant other. So the, the debate has shifted instead of talking about the fetus being a glob of tissue to now the fetus is a preborn baby. But the reality is is that the the mom's life seems to be more important than the baby's. So the thing we've got to emphasize as Christians is that all lives are important moms, and babies. There are many people today that say, well, I'm opposed to abortion, but I don't think it's right for me to impose my beliefs on others. Some would say, well, a woman has a right to choose what to do with her body, and she has reproductive rights. Well, whenever I hear that, I cringe. And there's really a few reasons why I cringe. First is, There are roughly 650,000 women who don't have an opportunity to make a choice because they're aborted. The other thing I think about is what about the victim? What about the victim? The victim has rights and we are killing the victim every single day. Think about how A woman who is raped, she's a victim. The perpetrator needs to be dealt with. He needs to be thrown in prison. Think about African Americans back in the day. They didn't choose slavery. They were victims of slavery. Think about the Jews at the Holocaust. They didn't choose to be killed because they were Jews. They were victims. And now babies, by the day... They don't choose to be aborted or killed. They're victims. So instead of us talking about, ah, the woman has a right to do what she wants to with her body, the reality is there's a whole other human being inside of her body that doesn't have any ability to speak up on their behalf. What about the victim, and what about the 650,000 girls who are aborted that don't Even have a word. You know, it's interesting because the pro abortion side will always focus on the rights of the mother, but what about the rights of the baby? And I believe from scripture that God has designed rules to help protect the mother and protect the child at the same time. In Exodus chapter 21, Rule was, in the Old Testament was, if, uh, if there were two men that were fighting each other, they accidentally hit a pregnant woman. and, and if there was no harm done by the woman or by the, the infant growing inside her womb, the men would have to pay a fine for being reckless and careless. It's the same equivalent to a drunk driver, someone who's driving drunk that doesn't hit anybody, but yet if they're pulled over, what does the police do? They give them a fine because they put themselves in danger and they put others in danger. It's the same concept here. But notice what Exodus went on to say. If two men were fighting and they, they, they harm a pregnant woman, they either harm the woman or harm the baby and one of them dies, what happens to the person who committed the crime? Capital punishment. As you go on in the book of Numbers, the judgment went a little lighter where people could flee to cities of refuge until the, until the high priest was dead. Then he could maybe come back. But what this tells me in Exodus is that God values both the woman's life and the preborn baby's life. And in the same way, we should as well. Both mother and child should have the full protection of law, but not solely the woman. So there's always the debate today of, well, what about unfortunate circumstances like rape and incest or the health of the mother? When it comes to rape and incest, this is a horrific tragedy that causes trauma to the person raped for the rest of their life. So the perpetrator must pay for the crime they committed. I also want to say, when it comes to rape and incest, two wrongs don't make a right. God values life at conception despite the worst of circumstances. In their book, Victims and Victors, David Reardon and all of his associates, they interviewed 192 women who experienced pregnancy as a result of rape or incest. And out of those 192 women that they interviewed, 90% of them who aborted their babies had deep regret for aborting their babies. The women who carried their babies into full term, every single, every single one of them had no regret and they were thankful that they brought, in, brought forth life. There are countless number of people who were born into this world as a result of rape or incest. And they're thankful to be here today. Two wrongs don't make a right. And this situation is less than 1% of the population. So we do not need to make exceptions become the rule. Because when you make exceptions become the rule, that's when things get hairy and messy. What about the health of the mother? C. Everett Koop was a Surgeon General of the United States who practiced pediatrics for 30 years. His testimony is that during his medical career, with the medical advances in understanding and technology, he was not aware of one single case in his own practice or his colleagues' practices where a choice had to be made between the life of the mother and the life of the child. It's a very emotional argument based on a circumstance that just rarely happens. The main occurrence where the mother's life is at stake is what we call an ectopic pregnancy when gestation takes place outside of the uterus. But here's the thing about an ectopic pregnancy. Most of the time, the baby dies in the first trimester and and it miscarries. The other thing to take note about ectopic pregnancies is the American Journal of gynecology reported that ectopic pregnancies are incorrectly diagnosed 40% of the time. What I say here is if you're a woman and you get pregnant and you have the unfortunate situation of an ectopic pregnancy, before you decide to go along with an abortion, make sure you have all your facts straight, get a second, third, maybe even a fourth opinion before you go in that direction. At the end of the day, most of the time, In that kind of situation, the baby dies, and you need to save the life of the mother. Now, many of you don't know this about me, but 40 years ago, my mother, she was told by her doctor that she had placenta previa, and her life was in grave danger and at risk. The doctor told her, Viv, if you have your son... Your chances of survival are very slim. You are going to risk your life if you have this baby and you're going to have to be on a hospital bed for two and a half months. Are you willing to sit on a hospital bed for two and a half months and even risk your life to have this little child? I want you to hear now the testimony from my mom. mom as we talk about the the sanctity of human life we know that god he values human life beginning at conception and i wanted just for a moment to talk about our story and how i came into this world Um, before you went into labor and delivery months before the doctor had explained to you uh, your and my condition
1: i had a condition called total placenta previa which means that the placenta would be born first. You can't have the life-giving placenta of the baby in the womb born first, or it would be death most likely for both mother and child. So I would have to have a cesarean section for you. And I was still two and a half months before your due date. Oh, wow. So he was saying, I need to stay in the hospital in the bed until you were formed well enough for them to do the C-section.
0: The doctor had explained to you that this was very dangerous and life-threatening to you, correct? Yes. Yes. So you could have lost your life, Yes. and of course my life was at risk. Yes. So knowing that, um, your options were to sit in a hospital bed for two and a half months and hope that God would deliver you and me into safety and into this world, me into this world, or even to abort. Why did you choose to go through the agony of two and a half months on a hospital bed?
1: Because life is so precious. And to me, a woman's uh, honor and privilege to bring forth life, just like a daughter of Eve, who's the mother of all living, we're life bearers. God has given that awesome privilege to women, to carry life and to to bring life. That to me is just precious. I couldn't have even considered anything but to do anything and everything I could to give you that fighting chance to bring bring you into the world.
0: And I'm forever grateful for that decision. (laughs) Uh, Thank you, because you really risked your life to have me, and then you went through two and a half months of just, uh, you know, being on a hospital bed. I can't imagine what you went through. What was that like? And, and I'm sure there were days where you probably, you know, wondered what would happen to your life. So what were you thinking? What was going on during that two and a half months?
1: When I walked in that hospital, I was carrying only my Bible. And God gave me several verses that I held onto the whole time. I'm your refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. And he gave me that peace that passes all understanding. So during that time in the hospital, God ministered to us as a family through the Christian community. They came to our aid and gave in every need that we had. All three of the little children were taken care of every single day. There were meals, there were a baby shower in the hospital. Even the doctors and nurses allowed your sister to have her second birthday in the doctor's lounge wow. with operation caps for party hats and surgical gloves for balloons. Um, the community of Christians just was phenomenal and our needs were just so well taken care of, every one of them.
0: So, after all of that, um, labor and delivery happened. What was that like when not only I entered this world, but also knowing that you were going to be okay? What was that experience like? It,
1: it was just a joyful time. Of course, it wasn't the easiest operation to go through, but it was just a joyful time to know you were okay and we were going to go home.
0: Well, Mom, I'm. I'm so thankful that you made the decision uh, to, to endure hardship for two and a half months. Uh, you didn't abort me. Uh, you brought me into this world and I'm forever thankful for that. And I know that uh, our kids are thankful for that because they're here. And I'm thankful that God has blessed me with a, a wonderful mom uh, who can not only help disciple my children and your grandchildren, but continue on by God's grace, leaving a legacy of Christian faith. I love you, Mom, and I thank you. I love you too, sir. <laughs> Thank you, Mom. Thank you. Well, I... Uh... Well, I, along with uh, many, many others, are forever thankful uh, for our moms who could have uh, aborted us and risked their lives um, to have us. I'm, I'm, I'm forever thankful, and I know I speak along with uh, many others who, who also are thankful. So what do we do with all of this? Well, there's just a few things to end our time here, and the first thing I would say is to engage in a respectful discussion with people on the other side. Uh, We need to thoughtfully engage this culture. We need to understand where they're coming from and speak the truth in love. And as we speak it we are to be uncompromising in truth and unwavering in love. When I was in high school, I remember to this day I decided to to do a a speech debate in my speech class and I wanted to talk about pro-life and we had a girl who was pro-choice and I did what I did today and talked about how life begins at conception. Well, believe it or not, she was Very pro choice in the debate. And she did a good job as she explained uh, her rationale behind it. But within a year, I kid you not, my friend Michelle got pregnant in high school. And she came to me and she ended up having the baby. And she said, Seth, do you know why I had this baby? It's because of that debate. You convinced me that this was a life growing inside of me. And I'm thankful that you convinced me. Uh, So it can be done. So I encourage you to engage in dialogue with people who are on the other side. The second thing to do is pray that Roe v. Wade would be overturned. Right now, uh, the Supreme Court is deliberating on a Mississippi case that could bring it back to the states, which would be a big win. Please pray that God would turn the hearts of our judges, that Roe v. Wade would be overturned. The third thing is write our state legislatures. Uh, Just a couple years ago, there was a a measure to implement that of the heartbeat bill. It was turned down by judges. And so please continue to write our judges, write our our state legislatures, and plead for them to implement bills like the heartbeat bill and many others uh, pro-life measures. The fourth thing is to serve and support pregnancy centers. Choices Resource Center in Oak Ridge is a wonderful center that we have partnered with for many years. Please jump in and help support them financially. We have a number of you that serve over there weekly. We even have one of you that serves on the board right now. So continue to support Choices and other pregnancy centers like Hope Resource Center. And then finally, please make life a top priority for you. The argument is is that the pro-life discussion is a distraction from the Great Commission. I would argue it is not a distraction from the Great Commission, but it is part of the Great Commission. Because God values life. And if babies are being aborted, we can't make disciples of babies who are being aborted. So life is part of the overall strategy of Jesus to make, make disciples of all nations. Chip Ingram said, abortion is not just a topic out there for casual discussion. There are always lives at stake. Keep that in mind as we talked about the sanctity of human life.